In Matthew 16, where Christ questions Peter at Caesarea Philippi, and he says to Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said to him, you are Peter or the rock. And on this bedrock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that's our theme for this study on the church. Second Thessalonians uh, 2, verse 1. Now we request you, brothers, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, only who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a strong delusion so that they will believe in the lie, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in uh, wickedness. And we'll leave uh, the reading of God's word there. It will be clear why we've read that passage uh, when we come uh, to our sermon. Uh, let's stand uh, to call on God's name in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your name and uh, that you have set this day aside and that you have gathered us together to worship you. And we pray, O Lord, that we would meet with you and that you would grant us your spirit in our souls, in the inward man, and that you would open your word to us and that you would enable our souls as your people to receive that word and that we would look into your things and you would help us to understand them. We pray, O Lord, that as we've been thinking on your church, that we would come to understand it better and that we would see what a wonderful thing it is uh, that Christ has been building it and that he is gathering a people from the four corners of the earth and from every nation and tribe and tongue 
and that he is saving uh, souls. And he is gathering us into one family and so that we would have the image of the Father. And there is no barrier between your people. Your people are one. One family and one a language in Christ and one nature and one love. We pray, O Lord, that this would be a great blessing to us in a day of confusion, that we would take comfort and strength uh, from seeing uh, you build your church and that it has lasted for so long and that it will last until it is uh, taken and presented on that last day married to Christ and perfect and pure without any spot, wrinkle or blemish. Be with us all gathered here, uh, all of our families and all of the concerns of our minds and hearts. Minister to us through your word and bless us as families as we support one another in Christ. May we be a blessing and an encouragement to one another even in a day like this when so many suffer from the breakdown of families, we pray that as your people, this would be a great blessing to us. Bless our congregation, uh, those among us now, and all of our members and adherents, and all those who are attached to this congregation. We pray, O Lord, uh, as the great shepherd of the sheep, that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, would be at work in us all, and that he would bring his word and his spirit to bear on all our lives and guide us in all that we do, guide us into the truth, and uh, that he would bless us in the gospel, that we would all uh, be transformed and, and all know the power and the love and grace of Christ in our lives. Bless our denomination uh, meeting tonight all over the country. Uh, protect our ministers and pastors Protect our elders and all of our families and all who are part of our church. May you use this church that you have blessed and that you have given uh, a heritage to, that you have given the truth to. And may we guard that truth and honor it and be faithful. And may we serve you in this generation and see your glorious fruit uh, brought uh, to pass in this country. We pray, O Lord, that through the witness of your church, that the world would see that there is a God in Israel and that there is a God um, who will judge and a God who saves. We pray that you would use us in this way and take away any obstacle at all uh, that hinders us from doing that work and may we do it with gladness and with joy, looking unto our Master, uh, who is in glory, that we would do it for him and for his sake. We pray then you would be with us tonight and bless your word to us in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Let's turn now to 1 Timothy and chapter 3 and verse 14. That's the next letter along from 2 Thessalonians. 1 Timothy 3 
and verse 14. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest or revealed in the flesh. He was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. But the spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, uh, forbidding to marry and advocating abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctifying by means of the word of God and prayer. And it's especially in the verses um, from 15 to 16, but especially the words in 15, that Timothy ought to know how to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, as we've begun to look at these sections in the New Testament that show us what the church is, we've seen that the church is an assembly that God calls out of the world into a gathering that he gives the gospel to. And that that church, as it's organized in the world, is the visible church. We're part of it. And that visible church is bound together by its doctrine and worship and government and discipline. It is a kingdom over which Christ reigns by his word. There is an invisible side of the church, an aspect of the church that we speak about, which is the true bride of Christ, which is the elect of God from all eternity, from the beginning of time until the end of time. All those whom the Father predestined and loved to save and set his affection on them and gave Christ to them and engrafted them into Christ, that he gathers as a bride to Christ, the true spirit-filled body of believers, the invisible uh, church. And Christ became head of that church, we saw. He did that by purchasing and buying that church with his blood. And he became uh, coronated and invested with all kingly authority at his resurrection and ascension and was made the head of all things. You remember that, Ephesians 1. So you see how I'm trying to build with you a picture of the church, that it can be seen in these ways with Christ over it as king, looking after it, ruling over it, and sending the Holy Spirit into it. 
And we saw last time that the church is his body. And that because when he ascended, he was given um, an immeasurable uh, outpouring of the Spirit as the king who anoints his people. He poured that Spirit out on the apostles and he does that throughout history. That is what Christ does. He's the anointed one and he anoints his people. And so if the head is anointed as king, then his body, as we see in the psalm that we sung last week, 133, when the head is anointed, then the whole body is anointed and serves Christ. So a a visible and invisible church with Christ as its head and we are the body. So that's what the church is. But we're beginning to move now into really what is the church for? What does the church do? If that's what it is, why is it there? And this is a good bridge tonight to take us into that area of why is the church here and what is it supposed to do? Because Paul tells Timothy throughout this letter many things about how a church is to be constructed and ordered. But he, as he does, as he's writing, he, he uses phrases here in verse 15 that give us a really good statement of what the church is there for, what it is to do. And he says that it is the house of God, the church of the living God. It is the pillar and support of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. That is why there is a church. And we're just about to see that, why that is. So when Paul says here that the church is a pillar, and the picture is simple in Ephesus, there is a large pillar that either displays or holds up uh, some god or some truth or some object to display it to the whole city, or a pillar, as you know, that holds up a building. It could be either one of these. He's As Paul sees these pillars, He says that is just what the church is like. It is an impressive, imposing pillar that is strong and that holds something up. And it holds up the truth. And we have to wonder, well, what does does that mean? What does it mean that the church holds up the truth? In the day we live in, we really need to know what the truth is. Because there is so much deception and confusion We are living in, as the Bible says, Babylon, which means confusion, where each man has his own truth. And there are a million variations of the truth. In in books and on the news, when an event happens, all the commentators go on to Fox News or CNN, and they all say what they think. And a lot of the time they're all saying something very different. And you wonder what it's all rooted in. But there are millions of these truths as there was in Ephesus. And when Paul says, well, the church is the the pillar of the truth. There isn't another one. The church is the pillar of the truth. What is the truth? Well, the truth is just the reality of what, what is. The truth is what is real. And many people live in this world and try to understand it, and they try to understand what has been made, they try to understand what has happened in the world, they try to understand religion, they try to understand where we've come from, why we're here, where we're going, and there are just billions of opinions 
about all of that. But we don't need to become confused about all of that because there's one thing that we are sure of, that there is only one reality. There is only one. Many people may subjectively think they know that reality and they talk about it in their own way, but there is actually only one world. And there is only one version of history. It doesn't matter what opinions are then said about it. Only one thing has happened. And we are only here for one reason. And the world and the universe only came from one place. It, it didn't happen two ways. There is only one reality and we're living in it surrounded by man's confusion. And that reality then, that truth is God himself. The truth comes from God alone. We cannot even begin to think about what is real and true unless we reckon with the reality of our God. For he didn't begin. And he made all this and he has brought it all to pass. So to understand it and to understand why it's there, we have to understand who he is and why he is there. Um, God's character and all the work he has done. If we want to understand what is true, we need to know who he is and what he has done. He is the source of the truth and he alone can give us light to understand what really is true. You know the words of our catechism, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. And then it lists the attributes of God in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Truth is essential to who God is. He doesn't lie. He has one plan. He does one thing. And it means one thing. And the tiny earth he's made is... They're firing up millions of opinions about that. But the truth is, there is only one uh, truth and one reality. And Pontius Pilate said to Christ, what, what is truth? There's no such thing. How can you even know? But we can be comforted and refreshed as Christians in knowing uh, that there is such a thing as the truth. And we can know it. We don't need to be lied to or deceived. And we know that truth, as Paul would agree, we know it in Christ. All that I described there that God does, it's revealed and made plain to us in Christ. He says that in his great confession here in verse 16. He who was revealed in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. So if we want to know what's true. The Word of God tells us that the, the greatness of God and all He's done is channeled through Christ. And we can find the truth there. And Christ Himself said, I am the truth. I am the way and I am the truth. So we, even as sinners with weak minds, we can be assured that if we are continually going to Christ and we place all our faith and hope in Him, we will not be lied to. We will know what's true in a world of confusion today. And Christ, in his work here, as manifest in the flesh, he was vindicated by the Spirit, seen of angels, proclaimed among the nations. The, uh, his work 
the gospel is the truth that we need to know. It is revealed in Christ and it's carried out by Christ. And when we look even at Paul's confession here, the list he gives of what happened to Christ, these are doctrinal statements about what Christ achieved. And when we consider that gospel, we will find out the truth. The truth about who God is, the truth about who we are, the truth about sin, the truth about what's needed to put sin right, and the truth about where this is all going. Paul puts it all, he cramps it together in that one paragraph. But that is an example of the truth. So God is true and it comes from him. He reveals himself in Christ. And in the gospel that Christ achieves, we have there the word of truth. You can't have the truth if you're not right in the middle of the gospel of Christ. For that is where God has revealed who he is. Now that Christ built and is building the church that we're studying. The one who is truth and the one who reveals God's truth about himself and man and achieved salvation, he is the one who says, I am building a church. The church that Paul is speaking to Timothy about. It is Christ's church that he is building and Christ achieved a gospel and then he gave the truth about that gospel to the church. He deposited it in the church. He did that by showing us what he has done, but then he did it by his spirit, by inscripturating his truth. Christ achieved it all and then inscripturated it into this word. And that, that's a wonderful thing to even think about, that, um, that Christ didn't go to glory and he's not speaking in a way from glory by himself the truth but he he has made it known and made it firm and concrete etched into concrete and he's given it to the church and that's what Paul means he doesn't say that Christ is the pillar and ground of the truth but he says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth and that's wonderful that's not what we would expect but Christ knows what he's doing and he builds this church and though it's comprised of sinners nonetheless this is what it ought to be the pillar and the ground of the truth so in what way is this uh, church that Christ is building what he what Paul calls here the church of the living God in what ways is it a pillar and ground of uh, the truth. Well, first, if we take these words pillar and support or pillar and ground, we, we can take a couple of very straightforward things from this and let's try and understand it together so that we understand the church that we are part of. So if we look at that word pillar, the first thing that the church does is it upholds the truth of God's word. The pillar is upright. It supports something. It holds something up. And the Christ has entrusted his church with holding up not um, a couple of things, uh, not one book of the Bible, but he has entrusted the church with telling 
men and women and the whole world, he has entrusted the church with telling them the truth. All that they need to know about God and themselves, their life and their death and heaven and hell, he's entrusted that to the church. No wonder Paul calls it a pillar. There's many pictures he gives of the church, but we have to raise our conception of the church. In Paul's mind, it's these great temples in Ephesus, the temple of Artemis and um, the Areopagus and things in Athens, these huge temples with massive pillars. You you can see one today if you go to Washington, D.C. and go to the Supreme Court. It's a beautiful, impressive building with pillars. And that's meant to speak to us and say, this is where justice is done. Something substantial that can be relied upon is happening here. Now, I wish some of our churches were built like the Supreme Court, that it would communicate that there's something really important going on. We are are completely underestimating the church of Christ. We think it's a gathering of friends, or it's, it's a family, or it's a household of God. But Paul's saying here, the church ought to be impressive, and it ought to have integrity. And when it speaks, it speaks from God, and it tells man, this is the truth. It is strong to uphold the truth of God. And it is firm and substantial and dignified. It is the pillar of the truth. So from that, if it's uh, if it is strong and substantial and beautiful and holds up God's pure, unadulterated truth, then there's a few things that we know about from that, the, the church should, um, the church is not in the business of making suggestions to the world in that sense. The church does not just facilitate discussions and have interesting dialogue. Um, the church doesn't do that. Sometimes the church does, and this isn't me criticizing the church. The reason I do it, the reason we do that is we lose confidence in the truth of God. We have lost confidence in it. So, we raise suggestions or we enter into discussions, but at a very basic level, the church that Paul's speaking about here is one that he can tell Timothy, this is the truth. And Timothy, go to Ephesus and you don't compromise this. You preach this because it is the truth. So it doesn't discuss, it doesn't say to the world, let's discuss what God is like, or let's discuss what God may be like, or let's discuss um, life, or let's discuss uh, politics, and the church should never give the impression that we're just another organization that wants to be part of the discussion. That, that, is, not, that is not the expectation Jesus has. He has given us a deposit, the breathed word of God, and we should be taking this word of God with confidence and declaring that word of God. So it is Solid and steady and substantial to uphold the truth. And when Paul says truth, he, he, this is a man who knows the Old Testament. This is a man who knows the law of God. This is a man who knows that God is gracious and merciful and who expected a Messiah. And he has embraced Christ and he's met Christ and he is building the, the Asian church here, Paul. And it is small in Ephesus and Corinth, but he says, you go into these places and you don't go in as, as the, the outsider or uh, the weaker one among the other people in Corinth. No, the church in Corinth and Ephesus has the right 
as the only custodian of God's truth, to tell the Ephesians, this is what God expects of you, and this is how you are to be saved. So the, tr- the church is a strong and steady pillar that upholds the truth. It's also securely grounded. Uh, Paul says here, it is the support of the truth. Sometimes translated the ground of the truth. And this is just a word from architecture that means a foundation. It's the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Not only is it strong and sturdy, but this is telling us that it is well-founded. It is stable. Not just strong, impressive, and declaring the truth, but it's, it's on the ground and it's completely stable and can't be shaken. If it holds to that truth God's given it, it can't be shaken in that way. Uh, the, the world is constantly moving. The ground of the world moves all the time. And it, move, it moves with the breath of the wind and it, it's tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Um, the ground that the world is on moves continually with all the, the imagination and reason of man. So a hundred years ago, if you went into Congress, they all believed something entirely different than they all believe in Congress today. It's almost like two different, it's like they're two different nationalities almost. There's no continuity. People just, it's just constantly reforming and changing as people are influenced by the lie and the delusion of this world and their own sinful reason. But Paul tells us here that the church is not to be like that. It must not only be strong, but it must be well grounded in God's word. And if it is, it will not be moved. Um, so the church should never search for the truth in human wisdom and in society and in changing trends and all of these things. It has to watch these things. So it can effectively minister in these areas, but it should not take its ideas and its understanding of truth from the world. That, that, that is a disaster for the church. That is not where the church gets the truth. It gets the truth from the foundation. We read in Matthew 16, Christ spoke about a foundation that he asked Peter, have you come to know who I am by this point? And Peter gave him a foundational statement. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ said, that is a foundation. On this rock, I will build my church. And Christ says, you have to have doctrinal statements that are non-negotiable to build the church on. We should not be um, victim in the church to the constantly changing ideas all around us. That can pollute the church and make us uh, relativists and basing all that we believe on what is happening in the world around us and constantly changing uh, what we believe. And Christ wouldn't say that to us. When the ground of the world moves, the truth of the church does not. And when the ground all around us in, in politics and these things in the Western world, when they shake, the divine foundation is not to move. 
Christ told us, not one jot or tittle of my word will pass away until the end. There is no change. So it is based on the ground. And it must be grounded on, like Paul gives us here, God manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. These are statements that we must accept and ground the church on. And we mustn't give them up. So it is strong and and steady to lift up the truth to the world. The church is to be confident about that as a pillar. And it is to be founded on God's word and not be shaken by all the passing ideas that come through uh, each decade uh, that it experiences in this world. But thirdly, it is unchanging. It is unchanging. Paul says the pillar and the support of the truth. You don't put up a pillar and take it down two years later. Not in the ancient world. You don't spend that time. The craftsman, the sculptor doesn't spend the time building these immense pillars to take them down. The whole idea behind them is this is going to stay here forever. And that you don't shape it, you don't change it. Its design is to fit into the building and it's exact and they've been exacting about getting it right and it just remains there. And you can still see these pillars. I mean, some of the pillars that were up in Ephesus, they're still there. The physical ones, the physical pillars in Ephesus have lasted longer than some church's doctrine. The stone has outlasted the living word of God in some churches. The pillar is not to be moved and it's not to change. And the truth doesn't evolve. It's not to be under constant review. It's not to be altered um, every few years by the church. And we have to be careful about that. Um, Maybe our forefathers were better at holding the truth steady. And we'll keep the central thing steady, but we see it as far too positive. Um, Our willingness to question the truth by changing social norms and to discuss them. So if somebody wants to say, well, the church is outdated because it doesn't ordain women into the ministry, um, and someone says, well, this ought to be discussed, then we are far too willing, generally speaking, to view that as a positive thing almost. We can say, well, we can interact with this and talk about it, and we can decide at the end we're not going to change it. But there are some things... um, that aren't up for discussion in that sense. We aren't like the scientific community. They're constantly questioning each other and writing papers and proving each other wrong. We shouldn't be proving each other wrong all of the time. Um, God has given us the truth, and here it is. I mean, it's here in the Bible. I don't have to dive to the depths of the sea and do experiments or climb Mount Everest. We all have a Bible in our possession, and is it really so hard in the main parts, to understand what it's saying, it doesn't change. Um, God breathed it, and there it is. The last part was 2,000 years ago. It is not going to change. It is a pillar, and we have to be uh, careful about that as a congregation and as part of a, a denomination, that we view the church as a confident steady, grounded body that knows what it believes. 
the church shouldn't be constantly saying, well, I'm not sure if this is the case, or I'm not sure if the Bible really teaches that. We must strive to be certain in as many areas as possible if we are going to be a pillar and ground of the truth. And can I just say this? Um, The world will acknowledge that. The atheist will acknowledge that. If there's one thing that is bad for our witness in the world in the last 50 years, it's that the world can see that the church is too willing to question everything it believes and change its mind and tear out parts of its doctrine. And then churches start to disagree with each other. And the world looks at that and says, they don't know what's true. They're not even sure themselves. You go to Ephesus in this day and watch Paul go in there and to teach in, in the hall of Tyrannus for three years as he, as he trained a group of ministers and they went out. And you, you look at what happened in Asia Minor and then it took over the Roman Empire. That happened because Paul was willing to stand there and just say, this is the truth. This is it. And you take this or leave this. And people respected him for that. He stood before governors and senators and they respected him. One of them, when Paul presented this pillar of truth to them, one of them said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. He didn't want to become a Christian. But Paul was so clear and so logical and so winsome, but he he was not going to and give any of it up. And the man said, this man, this man is absolutely certain about what he's saying. And he almost persuades me. We have to be of that mind of the things of, of God, friends, and tell the world as they are confused by Satan, who is giving them billions of contradicting truths, telling them women are men, men are women, There's no such thing as marriage anymore. You can have three people in a marriage. Um, uh, To tell children biblical doctrine is child abuse. All, All of these things, this confusion in our society, moral breakdown. And you don't need me to list them. You you watch the the news as much as I do. You don't need me to list the, the moral cancers that are all around us in our society. And if you look at that and say, that's all their fault, you're wrong. The church has a duty to stand as a pillar, tall, as one, and not confuse them. So that they can look at the church and say, well, at least these people know what they believe. We, The church, with its unchanging pillar, tells these unchanging truths that have never changed. What the Bible says, this is who God is. God is God. Man is man. This is what man is like. This is his problem. God's law is God's law. And we're not going to discuss it. This is God's law. And we say it graciously. And we say it pleadingly. But God has a law, man and woman. And the severity of the consequences that will happen to you. And Christ came. This is what he did. The pillar must stand and present that truth to America. What, what will an American do today if they Google, I want to find a church? Will it find the pillar of the truth in amongst all of the churches? One of the things we can pray as Reformed Christians um, 
is not just that the world would be convicted of what she is, but that God would destroy the confusion in the churches because it's really bad, it's really unhealthy. That's a good prayer. Thy kingdom come. That's part of that. Thy kingdom come. That means any mega church or any church that, that teaches foolishness and have, they have false apostles and they're stealing people's money. We should want, not out of hatred, but we should want these churches to go. Not just complain about them, but ask God. These churches are impeding our ability. The, 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 the average American looks for a pillar and, and the average American sees 150 pillars and they're all different shapes and sizes. And he's like, which one do I trust? We should pray. And we should be confident in praying because we believe that we're part of the church that Christ has built here that Paul refers to. We have inherited our doctrine from Paul and from Christ. We haven't made it up. It's from these letters. And we try not to stray from these letters. And we should be confident that as a pillar that is overseen by the living God, that if we ask for clarity in the truth and for the false polystyrene pillars to be dismantled, then God will do it for the glory of his Son. So, the church is to be a steady, strong pillar that upholds the truth. It is to be securely grounded on the Bible and on the confessions of the apostles and the doctrinal statements of Scripture. It is not to be changing, thirdly. not It's not to be changing like we've just thought about together. We have to get a system together, even in our RP testimony, that is as clear as possible that we agree on, that clearly says, the Bible says this about this issue, this about this issue, this about this issue. If possible, we should try not to have any places in our in our church constitutions that say we don't know what the truth is here. It could be this or this. Be- because that creates a, a slight fraction and weakness in the church. We should endeavor in love and in understanding, praying for wisdom as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. We should strive to have one clear statement as a pillar that when someone says, I'm going to join the RP church, they know exactly what that's going to look like. And people can be saved if they can see that we're confident in our God and in the truth he's given us. So it's steady, it's grounded, it doesn't alter and change. The church should not be like that. And lastly, it displays. The pillar is set up, sometimes in Ephesus, to have something on top of it to communicate something to the people of Ephesus. Or if it's in a building, like a temple or a courthouse, it holds the edifice up. That's what the Supreme Court is like. The pillars at the front hold up the edifice, and I can't remember what it says. Um, maybe it should say, the truth shall set you free, or the justice of God, or something like that. I can't remember what it says, but you see that the pillars are holding up an F an edifice that that is saying something to the people of America about what goes on in there. And Paul's thinking of that too. Um, When he says it's a pillar, he's thinking of height and display. It's not to be hidden and buried down somewhere. 
it is to be raised up and clearly seen by everyone. And that is the gospel that he's entrusted to Timothy that he speaks about throughout both of his letters to him. He says, you've known the scriptures. You've known this faithful saying about Jesus Christ. You are a soldier of Jesus Christ. And you represent, and you, what he calls in the first letter, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to our trust. That's what's on top of the pillar. The glorious gospel of the blessed God. And we're entrusted with it. And you're to hold it up on a pillar. That means that as steady and as doctrinal and as grounded as a Reformed church ought to be, it must be very evangelistic. The, the, the structure, the fiber structure of the Reformed church in all of its doctrines and its understanding it's on, that's only useful if then it's a force of life to the world. And Paul says that, he says in our verses, he was manifested in the flesh, he was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, and proclaimed among the Gentiles, and believed on in the world. That's why Christ did it. He wasn't manifest in the flesh just to impress us. He wasn't seen by angels just because that's a wonderful thought. It was all for a reason. The angels saw him come into glory and they marveled at God entering heaven as a man. And the angels marveled at it, but not for its own sake, because they saw him as a lamb who's slain. And Peter tells us that the angels marvel at what Christ does for his church. And not only that, but every one of them is assigned to serve the church. They are to minister to the heirs of salvation. The angels exist under Christ's command to help uphold this pillar. And what is that pillar to do? It is to preach among the Gentiles so that the gospel will be believed on in the world. Christ tells us that. It's the RPCNA and as the Meadville congregation. I think the RPCNA, it shines a light and it has done as the other RP churches around the world do, it shines lights into dark areas where there was no gospel. It's fulfilling its purpose and its command. It does that by not compromising the truth. It stands as a pillar and it shines a light into these dark areas and people are saved. We, as a branch of that church, have to endeavor and think about and consider that we would be able to do the same. We don't just preach among the Gentiles, but we want Christ to be believed on in the world. And we have to be clear in our thinking in a place like uh, Meadville. Um, we should not be in here thinking um, they're so opposed to God today they will not believe. That is just not true. That is just not true. If we proclaim the gospel clearly and simply, and with love and with patience, don't compromise the truths, the thousands-year-old truths. If we do what Christ has asked us to do, there is no reason that there aren't elect souls all around Meadville right now in utter darkness that can they can believe on Christ. They can, because I did and you did. If I can believe on Christ, they can too. 
I heard the gospel just like you, and there's no natural reason we should accept it. He's placed us here as a pillar. And I didn't plan to say this tonight, but we should want this church to be a pillar, not a shoebox, not a not a wooden crate, a pillar. An honourable, dignified, whitened, Greek-carved pillar that is attractive, substantial, inviting, gracious, but that is strong and that has, holding it up, the, the truth that in a world of lies people want to hear. That's why they're all going out killing each other and leaving their marriages and leaving their children. People live in a world of lies and they're bitter. Life never gives them what they think life should have given them. And the devil has sold them all a lie. And we must be a pillar in this place and give them the truth. So try and remember that, friends. As a congregation and as yourself, no man ever takes a lamp and hides it under a bushel, our Lord says. But he puts it on the lampstand that it may give light to the house. Let's be a pillar and a light. So it's a strong, steady church. It's a grounded a church. It's an unchanging, confident church that knows the word and is not constantly evolving. And it is a church that displays and preaches the gospel, not so that we just do our duty, but because we expect fruit. We know that people can be saved because we were, Paul was, others were. And it's very unlikely that they would have been saved. But we believe that um, we ought to, that people can be saved. I want to make one comment just before I close, because it's important for our church, and I forgot to say it. Um, people say semper reformanda. In reformed churches, they say the church is a pillar, but remember, we have to be reasonable because we're always changing, always reforming. That's wrong. We are semper reformanda in the sense that we are constantly watching what Paul wrote to Timothy and what he wrote to the Corinthians. And if we go wrong in any part, we reform. We go back to the source, to the ground, to where there's a chip in the pillar and we put it right. We are always reforming back to what Paul said and what Christ said. Semper reformanda doesn't mean I don't like the way the church is at the moment and I want uh, the denomination to be changed in these ways and my excuse is sem- semper reformanda. Change is good. We should always be willing to question our pillars. We're not meant to question our pillars. We don't question these doctrines in the name of sef- semper reformanda. Semper reformanda says we don't question well-established doctrine. We stick to it because we reformed and there's no need to There's no need to question it because we reformed and there it is and we know what it is. So just remember that. If you hear that, I hear it all the time. It's okay to question all these things and to start introducing all these things into our our churches in the name of Reformation. That's not what the Reformation was. The Reformation was going back to the pillar. So if you want to reform in that way, I'll, I'll be right behind you. If it's reforming to this pillar, not reforming to some 
deformed pillar that's in front of us. We reform back to this pillar. And may God help us and to understand these truths from his word and may help us to play our part in the church of Christ. Now let's stand for a moment before we sing and we'll pray. Let us pray. Eternal God, uh, we praise you that you are eternal in a world that changes all of the time, uh, in a world that is filled with so much uncertainty. We praise you that you are eternal, that you do not change, and therefore your truth, your word does not change. It is, it is as ancient as you are. And if we go back into eternity, into your being, from everlasting to everlasting, we see the truths, your truths, as pillars in your being that are immovable. For you are just and true and faithful and holy and wise. Help us to rest in your strength and to be steadfast and immovable and abound in the work of the Lord and for our church that you've given us and that we care about uh, this denomination. We pray that in a day of tsunamis, of lies and philosophies, we pray that we would stand as a pillar trusting in the King and that we would be simple, that we would stand without guile and graciously yet with boldness speak the truth in this world and through that then people may be saved and we pray O Lord that you would save them that you would guide us and lead us to the lost and to those whom you see who you have a purpose of salvation towards and we pray that you would draw them to your son and draw them into your household that they may find the truth for the first time in their lives. Help us then, O Lord, and keep us safe this evening. Bless this whole day to us and go with us this week. Minister to us in all of our weaknesses and pour out your grace into our needy souls. In Christ's precious name we ask it all. Amen. We'll sing uh, from uh, Psalm 46c.